just focusing in on two verses this morning. Believe me, there's enough there, you'll see. I think verse 27 is probably the scariest verse in all of Ephesians. It's probably one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible, to be truthful. We're a month out from Halloween, although the weather would say otherwise, and so would Costco. So my timing seems a little bit off, but I think I'm in good company. Verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here's the scary verse, and give no opportunity to the devil. And Paul seems to just casually slip this in here in a list of these imperatives as he's been writing to the Ephesian church. And in chapter 4, he's saying this then is how you should live because of who God is and what he's done. Here's who you are. Therefore, live this way. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he spells that out. And he gives a number of instructions, encouragements to the church. This is what it looks like. And toward the end of those instructions, at least in this chapter, he'll continue it in 5 and 6. He says this scary, sobering statement worth pausing on. Hence, this sermon. What does Paul mean? Give no opportunity to the devil. Well, well, what do we know? We know that he is writing to the church. He is writing to believers in God, followers of Jesus, those who have been filled by the Spirit, all things that he has proclaimed already in this letter. That's who he's writing to, and he is warning them not to live in such a way that would give opportunity to the devil. Opportunity for what, we might ask? We would need to understand who the devil is and what he does, what his character is. I'll give a couple snapshots. Let's start with Jesus. What did Jesus say about the devil? Speaking to the Pharisees, to the ruling Jews of the day, this is John 8, verse 44 and following, he says, you are of your father, and your father is the devil. That's a pretty harsh statement. There's a reason they tried to kill him. They were angry at him, not just for blaspheming God in their, in their eyes, but for offending them. How dare you say this? You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father, father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Here's who the devil is. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. It could be translated his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy, the devil, tempts people to doubt and distrust God by twisting the truth and speaking lies. It's what he's always done. Check the beginning of the story. Might even be page one in your Bibles. Genesis chapter three. In the form of the serpent, he comes and he tempts Eve by twisting the truth, by asking questions to undermine God's goodness and his authority and who he is. It's what he's always done. In the garden, it worked to catastrophic effect. The enemy tried the same tactic with Jesus himself. This is Matthew chapter 4. He took him into, actually the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And the devil sought to twist the truth, to manipulate, to get Jesus to worship him, to reject God the Father and Jesus shows us how to resist and rebuke the enemy. More on that later. Here's what the Apostle Peter says about the devil. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
So he's an adversary. He's an accuser. He's an adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a picture of, of who, he, who he is, what his character is. He's lurking about. This lines up with the metaphor Jesus gives in John 10, where he speaks of himself as being the good shepherd, as people being like sheep. And yet there is a thief in the picture. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So is he, is he a robber or is he a wolf? Yes. And Jesus also taught in Matthew 13 that the devil sows seeds. Use that picture. He sows seeds into the world that grow to be like weeds and choke out true life. In John chapter 13, to dovetail off of that teaching in Matthew 13, the devil put or planted betrayal into the heart of Judas. Judas would then betray Jesus. But the devil planted that seed of betrayal. And yet, Judas had to give that opportunity to the devil. The devil had no authority ultimately to do that. We know, we know that by, by Jesus' own words when he warns Peter, he says to Peter in Luke 22, Peter, Satan, the devil, has demanded to have you. He, he wants to sift you like wheat. See, the, Satan, the devil, has no ability to do that without being given the opportunity, being given the authority. Paul is warning us here in Ephesians 4 that we as believers, as followers of Jesus, as spirit-filled, can do the same thing. We can give opportunity to the devil for him to work according to his very nature, which is lying, tempting, sowing evil, stealing, destroying, and killing. And if this wasn't scary enough, we maybe use, use air quotes around that word scary. We're called not to fear, but it should give us great pause and warning and caution. But the ESV's translation may in fact be too tame. The word in the Greek is a general word. It's the word tapos. It's where we get our English word topography. It simply means place, usually a ge- geographical place, an actual location could be translated and is translated area or region. So the King James translates it this way, give no place to the devil. Give no area to the devil. The NIV says give no foothold. It's, trying to, it's probably trying to translate that broad term into what, what, was, what was intended by Paul. What does that mean? And then line it up with some of the, the imagery we have. Imagine this, that the Holy Spirit, when he comes and fills us, he builds a wall, a fortress between us and the enemy. And the enemy is prowling around like that roaring lion or like that wolf. But our wall is secure and strong enough that his best, his best jump, his best leap falls short, and all he can do is, is scratch down the side of that wall. We are firm and secure. Give no foothold to the devil. Now imagine that smooth stone wall has some loose stones or missing stones or bricks in it. And so the next leap of the enemy, those gaps create a purchase for his claws. That's somewhat of the imagery of what the NIV is trying to capture. Give no Give no foothold. But actually, 
Maybe the most sobering translation would be the New Revised Standards translation of make no room for the devil. Literally, a dwelling place. Now, we see it used in this way in a very famous passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. See if you recognize, many probably will, some won't, but many will. You can flip there if you want. And while they were there, the they is Mary and Joseph. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no tapas for them to dwell in. Now, why do I use that? Because that's the same word being used here. Make no room for the devil. A literal dwelling place for the devil to establish. This should give us great pause In Luke 14, that same word is used in a parable by Jesus himself when he speaks of a king or a rich man who is going to throw a big party, a banquet, and is going to invite anyone who would come. And everyone made an excuse and didn't come, so he sent his servants to go into the streets and invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind and everyone to his house. And many, many came, but the servants went back to him and said, but master, there is still room at your table. There is still room tapas at your table. This is the breadth of this word, and it's really important for us to understand that because it is what Paul is warning us to not give to the devil. Do not give him a place at your table. Do not give him a room to dwell in in your house. There is a, there is a dual probably uh, response to this. It is both the people of God as he's writing to the church, give no room for the, the devil to work, to establish a place, but it's also an individual reflection as he is writing to individuals and in the way they are called to live out their life. Through your anger, he says here, through your anger that you dwell upon and harbor, you are giving room, you're setting a place at the table of your life for the devil to establish. How frightful. And what would the devil do? He would take that place and make it his own. Worse than any house guests who overstay their welcome. Worse than the in-laws who come in and change up everything. You, you turn it up to 81 degrees? I just need to, now we're out to go to the, we're just quick, couple quick errands. I just need to stop at the flea market just really quickly. They just disrupt everything. It's worse than that slovenly roommate that you found on Craigslist and now you can't figure out how to get out of your house. Worse because... He's not just a nuisance, the devil. He's dangerous. And maybe worse because we may not even know that he's there. And so like a rot or like a mold that infects the structure of our house, he is at work to bring darkness and destruction to oppress. It is his very nature. He will steal joy. He will kill and destroy hope, peace, and love. It's what... He is about, and ultimately, if he can destroy our very lives, he will. And what Paul says is we can invite him in, not merely through anger. That's just the one that is used here. In fact, anger isn't the sin. Be angry. Don't sin. Very difficult to do, by the way, and that's not the purpose of this sermon. But there is something called righteous anger, holy discontent. Jesus had it in the the temple. We see that. 
in accordance with the character of God, there are things that ought not be in this world, injustices, abuse, evil, that we should be angry against. Likely the anger here is more self-centered, if anyone can understand that. We've been hurt, we've been wronged, and so we're angry. And even that may not be a sin, it's when we harbor it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger is just a phrase. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we can always make something right that very day or that very night. What it's saying is short-lived. As far as it depends on you, make it right quickly. Don't harbor it. Don't dwell. We must forgive in this very passage. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So it's the harboring of, of that attitude that ultimately leads to the making of place, the giving of place to the devil. And it could be any number of sins. Right in this very passage, we see a number of others that Paul lists of clamor, slander, wrath, malice, bitterness. Right? Any of these, if we harbor them, if we dwell upon them, we don't make them right, we don't seek reconciliation, we don't forgive, those can create room for the devil. They can, it's like setting a place at our table for him. We have invited him in. We could run through numerous passages. I don't have the time this morning. We'll touch on a number of them in our Living Free course. This is a significant piece of it, recognizing the spiritual realm and the work of the enemy. But throughout the New Testament, we see many more sins that when harbored give the devil room from fear to greed, jealousy, lying, idolatry, sexual morality. So Paul is not saying it's just anger. He's saying that any Anything opposed to the will of God that we harbor and hold on to gives room for the devil, gives him place to establish himself. In these same scriptures, we would see the devil's influence being described as outwitting, ensnaring, trapping, ruling, enslaving. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul also, the author of this letter, he paints an even starker picture if it could get more bleak. He speaks of the devil's influence like a stronghold in our lives. We could say that two ways. He has a stronghold on our life, but that word is actually like a fortress. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and following. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I don't have time to preach this fully. It is, it is a significant passage, not ours this morning, but what we do see, what is clear, is that the devil and his spiritual forces work in the world and in our lives to establish a stronghold, to build a stronghold, more than a dwelling place, an entrenchment. Think of an operations base for warfare. And the only way they can do that is when we create that space for them to come and to build and to operate out of. And it seems, according to this passage, that anything that we do to raise ourselves up in opposition of who God is and what he has said creates that space for the strongholds to be built. I think the historical and literal picture that comes to mind is the people at Babel. They built an actual 
fortress-type tower in defiance of God to raise themselves up against him. And ultimately, he gave them over to that sinful pride. And the result of it was life as they knew it was destroyed. Community was shattered and scattered. And that's ultimately the work that the enemy wants to do in every one of our lives and churches and communities to destroy, to scatter, to break, to steal, to kill. And anytime we hold on to sin and we let it dwell within us rather than bringing it to Jesus in confession and repentance, we are opposing God. We are raising ourselves up in defiance of his word and denying of his power to forgive and to deliver. And Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians that God has given his divine power to us, his followers, to destroy strongholds. He's given that to us through the power of the Spirit at work within us. We have the supernatural weapons of warfare. In Ephesians 6, he'll describe it like that. Put on then the armor of God. And he'll go through that. We're looking forward to getting to that section of Ephesians. Because there is a spiritual battle and it is real. And yet, you have been equipped for it. So stand firm. It's not something to fear, but it is something to be aware of. And Mike Rich is kind of the author of the, the manual that we'll walk through in, in the growth group. I love how he said, just that simple statement, that reminder that the, the scriptures doesn't, don't say, ignore the devil and he will flee. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. Don't miss both parts of that. We have an action to take, a resistance that we're called to, and the devil will flee. There's a promise in there. So we don't walk by fear. The devil may have established a stronghold in our life that we have been enduring for a long time, perhaps decades. And if that is true, I pray eyes and hearts are open to it today. Would you pray that same thing? It's possible, and we'll get into this, can't get into it this morning, but there are generational sins that are passed down. The Word speaks of that. That stronghold that the enemy has established could, have, could be generations old in your life and your family. And yet, and yet, it can be destroyed today. That's the promise we have been given the only reason that that stronghold remains is because we've given it opportunity and we have not rebuked the enemy and told him to flee. Think Jericho. You know that picture of a fortress, of walls, of a city? Think Jericho being destroyed and demolished by the power of God. Don't think, don't think Shawshank Redemption. By the way, greatest movie of all time. Just absolutely no question. 25-year anniversary this year. You know, this, you know that story, if not, bear with me. But 40 years of chipping through the rock wall to find freedom. That is not the picture we're talking about. We're thinking Jericho. The power of breaking strongholds, of being delivered, of chains being broken, happens today for those that walk in accordance with God's word and promise. Praise God for that. So a quick assessment for you. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, but the fruit of your life is more often not the fruit of the Spirit, though you want it to be. Fruit of the Spirit, love, 
Assess this. So what, what, is, what bears most often in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that the fruit that most often is born in your life? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not pat yourself on the back. That's thank you, Jesus. You are daily renewing me and bearing this fruit in my life. We should, hopefully, as we grow, see areas and places in our life where, wow, I responded with love and joy and patience, whereas a few years ago, that was not my response. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are doing that work in my life. But if the fruit of our life, and this doesn't mean these, these never exist, we struggle, we battle. We do spiritually. We do in this world. We're against a, a number of enemies. Not just, the, not just Satan, not just the devil. There's other sinfulness too that we battle. But if this is the fruit that is born in our life, not the fruit of the Spirit, but other fruit, anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, slander, envy, a critical spirit, distrust, destructive behavior, those are aggressive kind of responses, expressions, a passive, a passive, a passive list. These aren't exhaustive lists by any means. A passive list would be insecurity, inferiority, shame, depression, self-pity, apathy, hopelessness, suicidal thoughts. If those lists capture more of the fruit born in your life than the fruit of the Spirit, We've got to look directly at the cause of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've repented in confession, you say, I, I, do, that, I do that daily, but, I, but I, I battle, it's still here. There is something greater going on. And Paul tells us what it is. We have given room, place for the devil. He set up a stronghold, and we have not rebuked him and resisted him in the authority of Jesus. And that stronghold may be recent in your life, or it may be decades long or generations long. And he is fearful and terrified that the church would be awakened to this and simply equipped to stand firm, as Paul calls us, in the truth of his word and the power and authority of Jesus as his ambassadors and that he must flee. So vital that we'll walk through this in those six weeks because I don't expect this just to be captured. If this sounds new, if repentance and receiving forgiveness and grace and seeking to walk out our life of faith, if that's, if that's your regular rhythm, but you haven't engaged the work of the enemy and resisted him, this is a significantly missing piece. You can be free today. The work of the enemy, the fruit is evident. It's his stealing and killing and destroying and devouring. He is sowing those weeds in your life that choke out true life, and we have given him those opportunities. We've made the bed, we've invited him in. We can be free. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, to the slavery of the enemy. Jesus said and back in John 8, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. And we will daily need to walk this out to live in this freedom, to put on this freedom, to put off the old way of life. That's what Paul has been saying in Ephesians chapter four. It's a, it, we just looked at it last week. Those verbs, put off, put on, are, are used most often in getting dressed. How often do you get dressed? 
hopefully daily. It's an ongoing rhythm of our lives, and I pray that it becomes natural for us, that we would be renewed in our thinking, empowered in our living daily. God's power is this complete for us to be delivered and find freedom It's the same power, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is at work in us, in his believers. We live with that power. Is it simply latent in our life, or are we engaging the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit? If he's sufficient to bring the dead to life spiritually, he is sufficient to destroy all strongholds. Jesus shows us how. I said I would get to this, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 and following, the early part of Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus engaging the devil in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. He ends and the devil flees this way. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, this is the truth of God's word, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, he fled, and behold, angels came in his place and ministered to Jesus. There's a reason this is recorded. Jesus shows us what it means to resist the enemy. Jesus had all authority over all spiritual forces. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. In the evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, by the demonic, and he cast out the spirits with a word. What word would that be? We're not told for a reason because then we probably make it into some kind of magical incantation. The point, whether it's flee, go, leave, doesn't matter. The point is with a word. This is a very spiritual thing. It's a very significant thing, but it's, it's not some form of magical thing. With a word, and they fled. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 and following. He is the head of the body. We are the body. We are in him. All authority of heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? So go, with that authority go, and I am with you to the end of the age. Paul says we are like his ambassadors. The ambassadors of a king. We've been entrusted with his authority to do the very same things that he came to do. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you in the very same way. He sent out those 72. They knew almost nothing. And they too were able in the name of Jesus to rebuke the devil and the demonic forces. And they saw people delivered. And they came back to him and said, it worked. It happened. We did what you said for us to do. They hadn't even seen the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we can have significant gaps even in our theology With warning, none of this is our own authority. Do not establish yourself in in the midst of a spiritual battle. It is Jesus in his name, by his authority, entrusted to us. And because of that, by faith, enemy, you must flee. Be gone. You have no authority here. We break down those strongholds. We have the spiritual equipping to tear down strongholds, to find freedom and deliverance through the word. To be sure, the enemy is limited, though he has power and authority, he is limited. And I said, we also are fighting at other battlefronts, aren't we? This is what Paul said in 
Ephesians chapter 2. It's not just the enemy. He says, you were dead in your, in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked in. We have all done that. We've all given ourselves over just to, to the flesh, to our sinful desires. The enemy didn't have to have anything to do with that. He may speak lies, twist, kill, steal, destroy, deceive, do all that work, but we can also just in our own flesh walk away from God, disregard him. But we also can follow the course of this world. The world encourages us away from God to raise ourselves up against him, so there's another battlefront. But there is the prince of power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. As we distrust God's word, we give room for the devil, the prince of this world, to work. Paul continues to teach that. That's the bad news. The incredible news. The gospel is what Paul has been preaching. God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. It's by his grace that we've been saved. He has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has loved us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has forgiven us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And I wrote myself a note and said, if it's 11.30 or after, at this point, skip to this page. <laughs> so come to deep roots. Maybe that will show up. Because there, I wanted to hammer in on love. Love is the centerpiece of this. The, the, the reason, the, maybe the biggest root of, of all of our sinful expressions is what Paul was teaching to the Ephesians, that somehow they have forgotten who they are in God, how deeply they are loved. Somehow they've forgotten. And so they turn to the world or to people or to other things to try to fill that love deficit. And, and this, is, this is significant. We do this all the time. We have not been loved the way we long to be loved. We were created to be loved, but the world, people, even, even our families and those who, be, who should be closest to us, they will not fulfill. And so I'll leave that because I think we need to this morning. How do we access this? I want us to access this. God's word tells us how to do this. So we've, we've learned, we've heard. I know some of you are still wrestling with this. It's a Maybe a newer concept that's not supposed to be fearful, but it should create caution for us. I pray eyes and hearts are opened. The four R's that I've given a couple times that we'll walk through in the growth group, thanks to Mike Riches, it's just a way to remember it. That's it. It's just a tool. It's just a model. The principles are from Scripture. So actually, before I give you the R's, let me just read some of the promises of Scripture for how to access this. They're drawn right from here, these four R's, and then I'll walk us through briefly those things. James 4, verse 6 and following. But God gives even more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Acts 3, verse 19, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is a gift. Here we are, Ephesians 4, 22 and following, a passage we've hopefully become familiar with. 
Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Titus 3, verse 4 and following. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he's poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And these are, these are just a few passages we could go to. But the four R's, they come right from, from these kinds of verses that we might access the freedom that has been promised to us in Jesus. Here's the four R's. Repent, rebuke, replace, receive. We repent. I pray that these would be just a, uh, this would be a daily response that would just become natural for us. Repentance is a gift. Martin Luther said the whole of a Christian life is one of repentance, is recognizing the ways we've been going that are wrong, turning from them, and turning back to Jesus. That should be natural. And again, what a gift to be able to do so. A spiritual transaction takes place when we confess, God, I've been going the wrong way. That's obviously a simple way to say it. If you can be more specific, be more specific in your prayers to him of repentance. I'm going the wrong way. I'm turning back to you. Forgive me. So a spiritual transaction takes place. It's called reconciliation. When two accounts that were out of balance become balanced, that happens. It's a promise. It's done. Confess your sins and you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness. You don't have to go from here and prove it. Prove that you were worthy of that forgiveness. Prove that that's not grace. Grace is it's done. Now go and live differently. It is done today. Repent. Rebuke the enemy. Maybe this is the one we just skip over this, this piece. We rebuke the enemy. We resist him and he must flee. We claim the authority that we have been given in the name of Jesus as his ambassadors. We reclaim the place that he has established. We take it back the tapas that we have given to him. Clean house, if you will. And we merely need to speak the word of truth. Jesus, your word says this. I trust it. I believe it. Enemy, be gone from any presence you've had and any place I've given you in my life. And I pray that over this church. Anything that we've done, both arrogantly or ignorantly, to give the enemy room, he must flee. Be gone. That's the authority in the name of Jesus that we have. It's not to be done flippantly or casually. We do it with great heart and intention and with faith. But it need not either be drawn out and languished over. A spiritual transaction takes place. We rebuke the enemy. Be gone, Satan. We replace then. We replace that space. Now there's an open space there because the enemy has fled. Thank you, Jesus. We replace that with your truth. This is the renewal of our minds. This is daily. Your truth and your promise is that you want to fill us to fullness, to all the fullness of God. So fill that empty space with your promises, Lord. May they just flow into our minds and into our lives. 
Fill us again, Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Fill us again, Holy Spirit, that we would know you, we would proclaim you, we would have all the fruit of the Spirit filling those empty places that the enemy had been speaking lies into. Instead of that other fruit, you are now bearing the fruit of the newness of life, the fruit of the Spirit. We replace that and then receive. We receive this forgiveness, this cleansing, the spiritual healing, this filling that He has promised and poured into our life. We receive it, Lord. Give us open hands. And perhaps as a posture as we sing today, that's a posture I often take. These are open hands. Fill them, Lord. I receive your promises. I want to walk in it. And that doesn't mean you won't walk out of this door and be bombarded again by the work of the enemy. He's going to try to take back that ground. He has no authority. You have it in Jesus. Proclaim it. Proclaim it daily. Not in fear, but in boldness. That's how we access it. I wrote out a prayer because I just I, you, we can walk through this in an academic type way. We need to make it real. So I'm going I'm to pray this prayer. I've written it for me. If you resonate with it, pray along with me. Make it your own. Make it heartfelt. At some point, when we, by the way, when we rebuke the enemy, when we resist him, we should speak that aloud. I don't believe the enemy can hear our thoughts or is within us like the Holy Spirit is. So where you are finding the work of the enemy and starting to see it, maybe even today it's becoming clear, speak aloud. Be gone, be gone, enemy, as you walk through these steps. You can do that as we sing today. You can do that in a, in a prayer. No, no one else has to hear. Or you can just boldly proclaim that. Jesus did it in the desert, out loud, just him and, him and the enemy. He said it out loud. Be gone, Satan. I worship the Lord my God and him alone. And so may you do that. Let me just read this prayer as we respond. There are time, I want the team to be able to engage it. So I'm going to read this and then I'll invite them up. Because if they're moving here, they may not be able to engage it. Maybe the Spirit is working too in, in all, all of us. If this resonates, we need to think about it, think about it, but make it your own, make it your words. Heavenly Father, I recognize and I acknowledge my sin today the ways that I've doubted, that I've distrusted you, I've denied your power, your presence, your promises. Forgive me for my self-centeredness, my ignorance, my arrogance, my anger, and my bitterness when I hold on to that anger and do not forgive. Where I have allowed or invited a tapas for the enemy, a place, forgive me, Lord. I renounce his presence in the name of Jesus and in his authority alone. I rebuke any spiritual forces of evil and their influence in my life. I tear down these strongholds in the power of the Holy Spirit. I resist the enemy who would try to continue to take that ground. I refuse to give him tapas. Make me continually aware of my sinful responses of anger and bitterness and fear to those who hurt and sin against me, for those who have sinned against me. And this might be vital for you. I'll just pause and say this. If you, there may even be people that, that are dead and gone that have sinned and hurt you. Be released in this. For those who have sinned against me, I declare that that hurt and that, that pain it is wrong. And yet I choose I choose to forgive them as you, Jesus, have forgiven me. I choose to cancel the debt owed to me. 
I release them from my judgment. I entrust them to yours. Rather than condemn and accuse, I forgive and I bless. Please, Holy Spirit, help me grow through this hurt and move far beyond it. For those I have sinned against, Father, reveal them to me that I might go and seek their forgiveness to be reconciled, to offer restitution where possible. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come to heal me, to restore, to renew, to revive me. I want to know your life and your peace and your hope and your joy and your love. I choose to walk in your freedom daily, to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. May your praise ever be on my lips. Amen. Now I'll invite the team that we might praise him together, that we might sing of him together. And if, that can, if that's a helpful prayer and you would like a copy of that, I can get that to you. Again, we'll walk through some of this together in, in, the, in the growth group. It's an ongoing, significant thing for us. And so I'm inviting you to it, church. God is at work, and if we can see the strongholds of the enemy broken, we will see the newness of life within us, in our families, in our fields, in our church, for his glory. Just so you know, the enemy's aware of this and does not like it. May we walk with eyes open to the spiritual realms. Lord, give us those eyes. As we respond, let our praise and thanksgiving be on our lips. Come to the table. Be reminded of the sacrifice that makes all of this possible in Jesus and his blood alone, as we've already sang, nothing but the blood. Be in remembrance as you come and receive that incredible gift. If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. There's elements there in the back. Come and partake. Come and receive at any point of these songs that we sing.